start a series today called The Broken. You guys ever broken anything? Yeah, lots of things. I mean, like it was totally your fault. I broke my Apple Watch this week. Yeah, that hurt. You know, the best part for you will be thinking how stupid I felt when I did it. Because I was in the pool swimming and I thought, I don't want to wear my watch in the shower, so I'll take it off. That's dumb. I've just been swimming for 30 minutes with my watch on, but the shower will be the thing that gets it. So I set it in the little locker, came back in, pulled my bag out, fell on the ground, shattered. So I got a new one, though. Because <laughs> that's how God is good, right? He's going to take my broken watch. This isn't a message about watches. It's a message about brokenness, and God is here to do more than just a repair call. He didn't want to repair your cracks. He wants to give you a whole new life. The last line of the book of Judges sums up the whole book and sums up, I think, our era, culture, eon, in which we live right now. If you have the book of Judges with you, flip to the very last. I didn't even turn this verse in. If you didn't bring a book of Judges, bring it next week. We're going to be in here a while. Might as well. You know what? Why not? Why not? The last line is this. You ready? It's the last part of the last line. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. You guys, uh, I know you're inoculated to that, and that doesn't include any of you. But just if you've already got it memorized, hit me with it. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Does that sound familiar? Uh, there, There have been three millennia since that verse was written. That's a long time. Yet... There are so many parallels between the book of Judges and what I see going on in our world right now. This is not an indictment for those that aren't in the room, by the way, and it's not an indictment for you. It's a we are approaching this as broken people that don't need fixed. We don't need repaired. We need to be made new. The book of Judges recounts that. And sometimes you're going to notice, sometimes, in fact, we made this as if it was like a Netflix series that you were watching. Because I'm telling you, this thing is wild and woolly. I mean, like, this is not overdoing it. There's blood on that. Yeah. And knives. There's times when, as we go through this book for seven weeks, take a break, going to do Ruth and come back for six weeks. There's going to be times when you're like, man, this would make a great Netflix series. No, it wouldn't. None of you would watch it. It'd be too, like, R-rated. TVMA at best, right? Some of you are like, yeah, we never watch those. HBO. It recounts the history of God's people of Israel between the time of Moses and Joshua prior to them having a a king structure, the kings of Israel. It was a time of, uh, if we're looking at it theologically, a time of spiritual pluralism. Anybody know what that is? We're still in that time. Uh, three millennia, still going strong, where God's people are daily facing a choice of looking to the one true God, God, or the spirit preference of the day. And remember, it ends with, they just did everything they wanted. It's a story that, uh, that really shows how they failed at that task of choosing the one true God, looking to the one true God, and and how they constantly turned from God and did what was right in their own eyes. Again, did anybody in there ever do that? You ever do what's right in your own eyes? Yeah, it felt good, right? It felt right. 
Tim Keller, which go ahead and get used to his name. I, I, I normally bring up all the books I've read for this, but honestly, there's just too many. There's too many, and I already look kind of dorky up here. So I was like, you know, I don't want to bring a stack of books up with me. But here we go. Tim Keller, he said this. The book of Judges is like, it's about despicable people doing despicable things, trashy tales about dysfunctional characters. That's fun, right? You're like, wow, we're a minute into this, and you've offended everybody in the room. You called us broken. You called us trashy. You called us dysfunctional. Yes, yes. This sermon series is filled with those things. It's filled with individuals that become increasingly more broken as they go because they keep turning away from God and eventually they end with just doing whatever they want to do. It's a dismal story. It's all bad news. So welcome. So you might be thinking, why are we even studying that? Why are we doing it? I mean, why are we going to spend time going through it? There's five reasons, okay? One, Judges is the story of a hero and the hero is God. As much as we like to input ourselves as heroes into things, you're not. We are not the hero. God is the hero. And it shows us that the book of the Bible, all the books of the Bible, are not just some books of virtue that if you do these things right, you'll earn your way into heaven. We're going to see that. Number two, it shows that, that even when we do what is right, only in our own eyes, God still pursues us. You've heard me say, he is in hot pursuit of you. Three, it shows that there's always tension between God's grace and God's law. There's always tension, not just three millennia ago, but even today. There's tension between God's grace and God's law. God says, do this and I will do this. That's God speaking. But he also says, I will always be with you. I will never forsake you. Oh, man, how are we going to make that work? Number four, it shows us that there is a continual need for spiritual renewal. That's what we prayed for a moment ago. We want revival. We want to beat back hell and bring heaven down. Five, it shows us the difference between a true king and a true savior and what we put up as models. It's Jesus. Everything in Judges points to the savior, Jesus. God is in charge no matter what it looks like. God is in charge. But I must admit, as a biblicist, a Seminary grad. (laughs) Sometimes I wish that this book wasn't in the Bible. And I've been wanting to preach it for a decade, so you guys are in for it. But sometimes I'm like, man, why is that in there? That's going to be really uncomfortable that day. Like today's just an introduction. Introductions are easy. But man, when we get to like, well, you'll see. There's death. There's murder. There's some weird stuff. Weird stuff. This is that period between the entrance of the land, the promised land under Joshua, all the way to the monarchy of Saul, David, Solomon, you know, the first kings in this series. The book of Judges spans 400 years. And I promise the sermon series won't span 400 years. Some of you are like, it already feels like it, buddy. No, I get it. We're going to take a break and do Ruth. Ruth occurs in that time period. But there was no central leadership in Israel. They didn't have any leaders. No Moses, no Joshua, no other of those. There was tribalism. So they basically, this is how they ended up just doing what they thought was right in their own eyes. Tribalism. The 12 tribes of Israel, Israel, they were all trying to settle it on their own. And they didn't have a real good system for that. And so they just did what was right in their own eyes. And so God raises up through the judges. We'll see. God raises up 13. Some people call it 12. I don't know. What's it matter, right? 12 or 13 judges. And he says, you're going to be their judge. Now, when you think judge, what do you immediately think of? You see robes, 
gavels. And if you grew up in United Kingdom, you, you know, the hair thing and, and you see that. Or maybe you see like old Westerns or some sort of political mind. But, but that isn't the kind of judges we're talking about. The type of judges here are savvy. They're prophets. They're warriors. That's who he's raising up. God raises them up to use those judges, not for them to judge Israel, but for them to uh, deliver Israel. Israel's story is a story of deliverance. So is ours. I said a moment ago that the book is PG-13 at best and probably TVMA, as if anybody pays attention to that. So let me, let me get a little more highbrow. This isn't Tolkien. That's Lord of the Rings author. It, it, it's, this is George R.R. R. Martin, okay? What book did he write? I just want to gauge the room. Game of Thrones. Never read it, of course. Mm-hmm. So you might ask, is this just going to be a historical walkthrough of the time period for 400 years? Is it all you're going to, just going to waste our time? Yes. Yeah, totally waste your time. No, of course not. Of course not. You ever ask yourself this question? Because we'll answer this, maybe even today. What, why am I so up and down in my spiritual life? You ever ask that? Let's vote. Let's do some voting. You ever, you ever ask yourself that? Why am I so up and down in my spiritual life? Nobody? Just Bruce? Okay, good. Thank you. How about, <laughs> sorry to put you on the spot, Bruce. Uh, how, you, you say things like this. One week, I'm a super Christian. The next week, I'm not even sure I believe in God. You ever done that? Anybody? All right, cool, cool, great. It's going great. Uh, how about this? Why are there some sins that no matter how hard I try, I can't seem to kick it? Anybody? All right. Yeah, now we're voting. We like this. See, this is what got them in trouble. They just did what was right in their own eyes. Let's just vote on stuff. All right. How about this? Uh, why do I have so little joy spiritually? You ever wonder that about yourself? Everybody else seems to have it really together. You ever think that? I'm going to give you a little secret about that in a moment. But how about this? I just feel like I'm dragging in the church. Like, literally, I don't know. Do you ever say this? You get to the gas station, and you're like, man, we came in on what? Fumes. Fumes. I don't even know if that's possible, but I've said it. And do you ever feel like you just come into church, or you're CG, and you're just like, bang, 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 right? You know, you're just coming in on fumes, right? Gliding it in. Do you ever feel like that? And then you get there, and you're like, everybody else has it all together. You ever think that? Can I give you a little inside tip? Most of them are faking it. Uh-huh. I said it. They got problems too. They're just covering it up that day better than you are. Everybody's broken. Everybody needs a savior. If we didn't, you're wasting your time. So this series broken. It looks at that. It looks at those kind of things. Why am I up and down? Why am I in and out? Why do I feel bad? Why do I have no joy? You'll see it actually today. So you ready to start Joshua 1? Sermon title. You ready for this? Joshua is dead. Joshua is dead. The book starts by looking back. Joshua is dead. He was their leader. He was their guy. He brought them into the promised land. And guess what? Dead. Joshua, excuse me, Judges 1, 1 through 7. After the death of Joshua. Joshua is what? Dead, thank you. Joshua, you may remember, had been a mighty warrior. He's generally received like that. He led the children of Israel into Canaan, also known as what? The promised land. It's a big deal in their history. He'd seen a lot of great victories. Anybody remember one of the great victories that Joshua might have seen? There's a real famous one. Jericho, he's that guy. Can you imagine having him in your CG? 
Like, Joshua, give us something other than Jericho. Anything else happen? No. After he died, there were still parts of Canaan that were yet to be conquered. So who's going to lead this thing, they might ask. Joshua's dead. Who do we turn to? We need a leader. Who's in charge now, right? What will we do? Who's the, who's the new quarterback, right? Can you imagine following Joshua? Be tough. So they ask God in verse, still verse one. Man, that took a while. The people of Israel inquired of the Lord, who shall go up first for us against the Canaanites to fight against him? And the Lord said, Judah. He didn't say, let me check. (laughs) Judah. Judah shall go up. Behold, I have given the land into his hand. Okay, read that last part. I, read it with me. I have given the land into his hand. Is that super clear to you? Okay, and Judah said to Simeon, his brother, come up with me into the territory allotted to me that we may fight against the Canaanites, and I likewise will go with you into the territory allotted to you. So Simeon went with me. Now, some people say, oh, that's a great example of teamwork. I I don't think so. What did he say to Judah? I have given the land into your hand. I don't know, maybe teamwork, maybe he's a little scared. But the Lord said it's yours for the taking. Go on up there and take it. And he said, well, I'm gonna bring a buddy. The Lord makes a promise and makes a promise. Verse four, then Judah went up and the Lord gave the Canaanites and the Perizzites into the hand and they defeated 10,000 of them at Bezek. They found Adonai Bezek, which to a Hebrew speaker, Adonai Bezek, that's just another way of saying they found the king. They found the king, Lord Adonai King. Same to a Hebrew speaker, they use that a little bit interchangeably. We often refer to God as Adonai. There's nothing wrong with that king. All right, they have found the king and fought against him and defeated the Canaanites and the Perizzites. Adonai Bezek fled, but they pursued him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and his big toes. Who just thinks that's mean? <laughs> You've no idea the flood, the rush of jokes that I'm suppressing. You would all be so impressed. <laughs> just enjoying him. And Adonai Bezek said, 70 kings with their thumbs and their big toes cut off, used to pick up scraps under my table. As I have done, so God has repaid me. And they brought him to Jerusalem. and He died there. It's looking good, right? We did it. Yeah, we cut off his thumbs and his toes. It's a little weird. Can't ever hold a cup. Always falling down. Okay, I'm done. Hold, like what, what's wrong with this, right? What's wrong with it? And the Lord was with Judah and he took possession of the hill country, but he could not drive out the inhabitants of the plain because they had chariots of iron. Okay, that's like saying, they have tanks, we don't have tanks. They got night vision goggles, we don't have that. They, they, they got stuff we don't have. So they got a little scared. But I don't know. Do you remember from two minutes ago? What did God say to them? It's yours. And Hebron was given to Caleb. You remember Caleb? Remember Caleb? I'm 85 years old and I'm ready to fight. That's, that's Caleb, all right? That's a big deal. As Moses had said, and he drove out from it the three sons of Anak. But the people of Benjamin did not drive out the Jebusites who lived in Jerusalem. So the Jebusites have lived with the people of Benjamin in Jerusalem to this day. 
That's not what he told them to do. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them, and the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, hey, please show us the way into the city. We'll deal kindly with you. Sounds about right. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword, but they let the man and all his family go. And that man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called it Luz. This is a classic failure to obey orders. Failure to complete the conquest. Verse 27, Manasseh did not drive out the inhabitants of Bethshean and its villages, or Tanakh and its villages, or the inhabitants of Dor and its villages, or the inhabitants of Iblim and its villages, or the inhabitants of Megiddo, I love that word, and its villages. For the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Well, of course they did. And it's like, he's like, hey, we went in and asked them nicely to leave the Canaanites, which is just Bible talk for all the lands. We went in and asked them nice to leave, but they said no. Yeah, of course they said no. And when Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not drive them out completely. Now, I don't know if you're tracking along here with this little historical jaunt, but they were told to do what? Run them all out. Get it all out. And what did they do? We put them to work. Keller, get used to that name. He says, taken on its own terms, chapter one reads like a collection of Israel's press releases about their campaign. It's their spin on why they weren't as successful as what God expected. They had found a more economical solution. They got free labor. We didn't kick them out of the land, per se. I recognize Joshua said to do that. We'll see that in a minute. We know God told us, uh, basically, if you don't drive them out, every last idol, every last false god, every bad guy, if you don't do that, then they will ensnare you forever. We, We heard that, but we came up with a better plan. We actually doubled our workforce instead. But didn't God say to Judah, I'll give you the land, just take it? But they got bigger tanks than us. I don't think we can drop them. So we're going to actually just kind of do it and then put them to work for us. And honestly, what we did was even better. Better than God's plan. Now, I don't know about you. Have you ever thought that? Ever once in your life? God, I hear you clearly. But I got bigger plans. But then comes the assessment. God's assessment. Now, the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum. And he said, you ready? Great job, guys. You improved upon the plan. No, no, that's not what mine says. I brought you up from Egypt and brought you into the land that I swore to give to your fathers. I said, I will never break my covenant with you and you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land. You shall break down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. What is this you have done? So now I say, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall become thorns in your side and their gods shall be a snare to you. What do you think their reaction was? For those of you that are reading ahead, feel free to holler it out. What do you think their reaction was when God said, you didn't do it the way I told you to do it? And because of that, their gods now that are living amongst you are gonna be a snare for you forever. What do you think their reaction was? They cried. They wept. As soon as the angel of the Lord spoke those words to all the people of Israel, the people lifted up their voices and cried. They wept. 
And they called the name of that place Bochum or Bochum, I don't know. And they sacrificed there to the Lord. Wow. You say, Mark, I thought you said this book was all downhill. It is. They just know how to make it look good. If, I'll just be honest with you. If today we all at the end of this service wept and we had a big old sing-along and we all just went, oh, my goodness, I repent of my sins. And you got convicted of our disobedience and of all the times that you did the thing in your own eyes that you thought were right. If we did that, honestly, I would get in the car and I'd be like, Jennifer, so let's high five that, right? We did it. We just started the next great awakening. We're going to have a great year. They had a deep emotional experience, a wonderful worship service. But what we know is this. None of them changed anything about what they did. You ever, you ever fear that for yourself? I'm just sorry I got caught. Oh God, I wish I hadn't got caught. That's not repentance. We called the series The Broken because the book is just chocked full of broken people and broken stories and broken people that desperately need a holy God to save them from their broken behavior. I'm broken. I need God to save me. Now, I'm already a Christian. I'm a believer, but I need to daily repent for where I stop, not stop being a Christian. It's not really something I can stop. It's not a light switch. I can just turn on and off. It's either on or or off. It's on for me, guys. Welcome. I know if you're new, just tuning in, just caught that part. Because this is us. We're broken, and we often get stuck in, in cycles of spiritual high and then spiritual low and then everything in between. And we sometimes are really upset because the way we lived our life, even if we chose it, it isn't working out. And so we get very repentant, but then things are looking up and we start thinking, oh, you know what? I kind of like the way I was doing it. It's the whole book of Judges. Say this with me. We are broken people. One more time. We're broken people but we don't have to stay that way. Anybody have trouble with the second part? We're broken people, but we don't have to stay that way. Generational things you saw your mom and dad do, your grandparents, you don't have to do that. You may be the first person in your family that made a decision that you're not gonna be addicted. You may be the first person in your family that says, I will not get divorced. I don't have to do that. I don't have to pick up the sins of my father. Every one of us are broken, but you don't have to stay that way. Who am I turning to? Who's my leader? What they recognize is that Joshua was their leader, but what is Joshua? Dead. Their hero is no longer here. Did they learn nothing? It wasn't Joshua that was their hero. It was God. Judah was disobedient. Did we learn nothing? What's going on? I mean, today is an introduction of sorts, but I want to ask one big question and really spend the rest of our time praying through it. Like, what is going on here? Because the book is full of intense stories, but it essentially comes down to broken people who don't take God at his word. 
People that have seen a lot of really cool things. There were people in that group that were at Jericho. You know that, right? There were people in that group that their parents uh, walked through the sea parting. Can you imagine if your dad had that story? We'll talk about that in a couple of weeks. I think maybe next week. God makes promises. Will you believe him or will you not believe him? Like, well, how am I broken? Maybe, maybe some of you say, I've been, a, I've been a believer for 30 years, and why do I still have brokenness in my life? Why do I still have, and I'll introduce a little term here, why do I still have unbelief in my life? I'll, I'll tell you why. Here, I'm going to give you an illustration that, that may or may not land with you. I don't care. I mean, I care. You know, when I say I don't care, it doesn't mean I don't care. <laughs> it just means I don't care. All right, let's say that... Uh, my buddy Joe here is cackling on the front, on the front porch here. Let's say that I'm going to buy, he's going to buy my house, okay? I gave him a great deal, 30% above market. He's all cash offer. We're going to close tomorrow. Any realtors in the room? Is that possible? Realtors are always like, anything's possible. We can make that work, right? <laughs> Especially in this market. Oh, yeah, we'll get you in there by dinner tomorrow. Okay. So in my one stipulation, my one uh, contractual agreement is he can buy my house, have it. It's 100% his with one exception. I'm still going to live in one of the rooms. Now who thinks that's a good deal for Joe? Joe, nobody thinks that's a good deal. You would love it because we'd have a great time. He would fix the things I break. But now listen, you know I'm going to be using his phone chargers. You know I'm going to be eating his food. You know I'm going to be like getting in his way. And Danielle's going to get sick of it about 30 minutes in. She's going to say, why did you let him stay in the house? And she's going to be right. Now listen, some of you, go with me here. Some of you, when you became a believer, you said, God, I'm giving you the whole house. But secretly, you know where I'm going, don't you? Secretly, you kept a room. Guess who lives there? Lots of things live there. Amazing what you can get into that one room. Amazing. It's not even that big, though. Call that little room unbelief. God, I wholesale, I agree with everything you said. Genesis to Revelation, I even think the maps are from God, okay? But if I'm really being honest, when I became a believer, I kept a little bit for me. I didn't really want to give you the whole thing. That's just, that's my personal area. And I just appreciate you stay away from there. Now, who thinks that that's going to work? It's not going to work. The first chapter is all about that. And it's this question I want for you. How much unbelief Will you allow? One room, two rooms? Let's make it work. Just the garage. The first chapter is not difficult to apply to our own lives. It's, It's God is not calling us to go on a military conquest. He's not, I promise you. But he wasn't really calling Israel to do that either. He was calling them to be obedient, to rid themselves of idols. It's exactly how we live our lives. It's exactly what we'll see. You'll see a cycle of spiritual high, spiritual low. I wonder why. Well, I don't know. Maybe it's because you didn't didn't give the whole house. A lot of what we'll see over the coming months is that God is faithful even in our disobedience, which is super comforting. It will also show us that God insists on absolute trust 
Absolute belief. Absolute obedience. He wants all of you. You ready to give it to it? We must remove self-deception and belief and unbelief about God and take his promises directly, which come from the word of God. How much unbelief will you allow? We saw where one little bit of unbelief led to total catastrophe for them, 400 years of it. And honestly, it's, it's broken record stuff. You're, you're gonna, by week five, you're gonna be like, good grief. Here's what happens when, sometimes, sometimes, here's what happens. It looks a lot like what we just read. Here's what happens. It could happen today. We have a worship service. We have an emotional experience, which honestly, I like emotional experiences. I like to feel good. I don't, I'm not gonna apologize for that. But, and, and then we revert back to disobedience that's what happens here in the rest of the book of Judges. They, they don't take the land, and, and they won't. God, we're really sorry. We're just going to do what's right in our own eyes. <laughs> what? Some of you right now, maybe the Lord made a promise to you, and, and you believed it, but you didn't give him the whole thing, and so now you're wondering, like, why am I such a spiritual? Well, I don't know. Go back to the last time you were obedient to God. Or better yet, go back to the last time God told you to do something. Did you do it? Did you? That's a little bit of unbelief. So the Lord deals with you. Oftentimes when the Lord deals with, with us, with the Lord, he deals with the, the person over the issue. I get that. It can become a very emotional thing. It should. He loves you. We feel it in our core. We have a good cry. Do we really repent? We're just trying to get out of the situation. I read this. I have this in my notes. There's no way I came up with this. I don't know who said it. Sometimes you can weep away the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Gosh, I wish I had like 30 more minutes. I don't because there's a whole other group of people that's coming in. Because I think what it comes down to is we just start believing the lies of the enemy. I think we start believing that God doesn't keep his promises. I think we start believing that God didn't really mean what he said. Actually, I, I do know who said this, uh, Brad, our, our youth pastor. He said, the devil doesn't always lie to you that God isn't real. He just says God's not good. It's good. I wrote that down. So how much unbelief will you allow? A little bit? A lot bit? You want to get rid of it right now? We got time. I think I'm in charge. We can go as long as I want, right? Let's take our first steps. Let's close our eyes. Let's go to the Father and ask. And let's just keep it real simple. Let's ask him, God, Father, Lord, how much unbelief have I allowed in my life? How much? We want that revealed to us. Lord, reveal to me how much unbelief I've allowed. 
you have a pen or paper or notes app or whatever, you, you can write your answer down. Remember it, because you're probably going to need to go back to this later today. Start the process of repentance. The Lord shows you something. Is anybody seeing? Is God showing you? Is God talking to anybody in the room? You want to tell me? All right, cool. Great, great, great. Thank you for the hands. I appreciate that. Just kind of helps me out, guys. Once he's shown you something, you say, Lord, I am sorry. That's repenting. I'm sorry. I want to submit my heart to you. I'm sorry for not believing you when you made that promise. I'm sorry for worshiping something or someone or someone's opinion over what you think about me. I repent for putting my trust in those things over you. I repent for keeping a little, a little space for me rather than just giving you everything I've got. It's good to renounce it, revoke it, formally declare that you're no longer going to partner with that sin. I think this is the step the Israelites missed. They, they stopped at have a good cry. In the name of Jesus, I revoke that and the power it holds over me. Some of you maybe have been dealing with this cycle for years. In the name of Jesus, I revoke it. I want to receive God's love as something new. God doesn't just want to fix your screen. He wants to give you something completely new. As you're praying and receiving and replacing, here's the great news, because some of you are like, I'm not in a cycle. I have never, ever in my life sold the house. It's all mine. And it ain't working. The Bible says if we confess our sins to God, he is faithful to forgive. It's a promise. God never breaks promises. God loved you so much. He pursued you so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins so you can take your brokenness and be made whole again, be made something new. There may be some of you right now, God brought you here for this moment or you're watching online and God brought you here for this moment for you to give all of it over, absolute, everything to Jesus, the King. In this moment, you want nothing more than to give him everything. Well, how do I do that? You talk to him. You say, dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. <laughs> it means I've made mistakes. I've worshipped things other than you. I believe that you came in humility for me. You died on a cross. You were buried in a grave. And you rose from the dead. Come into my life. Be my savior. Be my Lord. I choose to follow you from this day forward. You prayed that, guess what? You just gave the whole house. And now the rest of your life and all of eternity, you're completely new. Amen. I would love to hear about it. You can find me. I'm in the lobby. I'm out in the parking lot. I'm doing all kinds of stuff. But listen, I want to talk to another group because here in a few weeks, March 5th, guess what? We're going to have a baptism party after church after the second service, okay? 
you've been waiting in the wings and you've been like, man, I need to take that step of obedience. Maybe you've been a Christian a long time. Maybe you've been a Christian for 30 seconds, from 30 seconds ago. We say one of the signs of Christianity doesn't save you, doesn't make you a Christian. It is a step of obedience. You're saying, I'm going to get into this water. This is where we're going to do it in March. It's too cold to do it outside. I'm going to get in this water. I'm going to be immersed in water just like Jesus was. That is a picture of what some of you just prayed. That God, I was once like this and I was buried with you. But when I came back up out, guess what? I wasn't broken anymore. I was a new creature creature that is made in God's image. Now listen, you were made in God's image the moment you were born. You were broken. So if you want to get baptized that day, you can get baptized any day. We're going to have a big party after church on March 5th. If that's you, you're like, man, I'd love to do that. I love what we do that here. It's one of my absolute favorite things to do is to baptize people. I know you know that. And uh, I want to do it on March 5th after church. You let me know. You really want to Make sure it gets known. Let my wife know. And uh, Jennifer, she's right here. We'll make sure we get you scheduled. Amen.